Candace Lem, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And it's just me today, so you might be wondering, what are we going to talk about? Are we going to talk about George Santos getting expelled from Congress and immediately signing up for Cameo? Which, by the way, great Christmas gift. Send to me. Are we going to talk about the finale of The Golden Bachelor, unto which Gary said, show me the money and I'll show you a televised nuptial? Or are we going to talk about how cheaters are getting podcasts? I'm looking at you, TJ Holmes and Amy Robach. No, I want to talk about an internet trend that happened throughout this year that boggled my mind in a way that I actually feel kind of guilty about. It's a trend that has affected our highest of highs. I'm talking Pink, Harry Styles, and Cardi B. Boy, the internet is latching on to the latest incident of fans throwing things at performers on stage. This time, an object was thrown at rapper Cardi B. Back in July of this year, Cardi B was performing Bodak Yellow at this outdoor Vegas beach club concert. She had this gorgeous Grecian orange dress on. She was feeling the crowd when someone took what looks like a big gulp-sized cup and threw their drink at her. And it hit her, spitgate style. And at this point, We've seen many variations of what could happen next, you know? When Bibi Rexa was hit in the face by a flying phone, she fell to her knees and got whisked off stage by crew members. When someone threw their mother's ashes at Pink on stage, she put it back on the ground and kept singing just like a pill. But with Cardi, oh, she threw back. That's right, with the arm of a major league baseball pitcher, Cardi just instinctively threw her mic that she was singing with, into the crowd, toward this person. Security, they crowd the stage. They're a little confused. But what I find so interesting about this video is that it almost seems like Cardi was prepared for this moment. Like she had been studying and reading the news and knew someone was probably going to throw something at her one of these days. And she thought it out. She drew the angles. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of get where she's coming from. Because this week... Another flying object hit one of film Twitter's most esteemed colleagues. Florence Pugh is the latest star to be hit in the face by a flying object on stage, which occurred during a Dune fan event. Florence Pugh. She was at CCXP, which is like a comic book convention in Brazil, promoting Dune 2. And an object seemingly drops from the sky and hits her in the face? Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Austin Butler, they're standing next to her like, whoa. And that's when I said, (laughs) we need to stop this. We need to talk about this. Because if you're coming after Florence, who's next? Barbie? Leo? Killian Murphy? (laughs) Not on Rachel Hampton's watch. But back to concerts. You know, when these incidents became a trend, fans were not only being called disrespectful and inconsiderate, they were also being called dangerous and a security risk. And we will definitely be thinking about 2023 as the year of Beyonce and Taylor, because there's no way you are on this earth with internet access and not seeing a clip from the Renaissance tour or Taylor changing her lyrics night to night, depending on who Tree Payne wants you to think she's dating. But I will definitely remember this as the year of throwing things at our pop mothers. And that might have something to do with how recorded things are and how every live event is both singular in the moment, yet consumed worldwide in the blink of a post. 
On top of that, the clips that get clipped, the moments that make it to the news, they basically have to do with people not knowing how to act outside. And I'm so curious about how we got here. Did we ever know how to be public at Madison Square Garden or AMC? And whether this is a symptom of standum and the consequence of online-only fans finally getting out. So, on today's show, I'm bringing on culture journalist Kat Spizzato to talk about this year in concerts, how the internet became a key player in groupie behavior, and whether that behavior (laughs) needs to be audited. All that and more after the break. Hey there, listeners. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode like this past Saturdays, where I talked to NPR producer JC Howard about buying a car on YouTube. And we're back. I am so excited because joining us on the show today is Kat Spazzato. She is a culture journalist who's written for places like NPR Music, V Magazine, and WNYC. Welcome to the show, Kat. Thank you so much for having me, Candice, especially after such a tumultuous weekend for you mm. and for all of Bachelor Nation, I'm assuming. Mm. I don't know. Kat, I am so happy you are here for the very first time. And because this is your first time on the roller coaster, I must ask you a question we ask all guests, which is what is your first internet memory? I have to say my first internet memory is so much more wholesome than the general pop. Okay. When I was growing up, I lived in the U.S., but I would go back to Columbia pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. That's where my family's from. And in the U.S., my mom was very strict, like no laptops, no computers. Stay away from that. There are demons and devils on that. And so I was like, period, I'm never I'm never touching a computer mop, period. (laughs) I get to Columbia where all of my cousins have very unfettered access to the internet and they frequent things called internet cafes. Shout out to the old heads in the chat. And at nine years old, I trekked my little body out to an internet cafe with my cousin because she said that I could go on a website where I could talk to celebrities. Y'all already know where she, what she was talking about. She's talking about twitter.com, obviously. She's like, you can use that platform to talk to celebrities. So I logged in at nine years old. I clocked in at nine years old with my Paul Frank little uh, monkey profile picture. And I made a Twitter account um, where all I tweeted about was becoming famous, loving the Vampire Diaries, and trying to get Shakira to notice me. Cat, what a beautiful first internet memory. I really do feel like those were the seeds that sprouted you to this podcast. In fact, I'm so glad you're here to wrap up the year in concerts with me because you are not only a fantastic music writer, but you're also one of my most outside friends. So, Kat, let us start here. Tell me about your year in concerts. Who did you see? And could you tell me in a ranking, like start from the bottom, we go up? I saw a lot of people this year. First off, I'd like to say there's a couple people I don't remember. I have ADHD. I'm very sorry to the people who I'm not going to mention here, even though I did pay money to see them. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I'm going to rank them. But like, this isn't a ranking of like, worst to best. This is like just who I enjoyed seeing live sure. the most. I only listen to singers. So mm. when I go to a concert, I know I'm going to enjoy who I'm going to see. Because I go to people who I know are going to be able to sing live. Mm. So I would like to preface with that. I, there's not going to be a bad person on this list. It's just 
least enjoyable to most enjoyable. Sure. So the aces at the bottom. Then we have the warning. Then Callie. Then Omar Apollo. Then Victoria Monet. Then Renee Rapp. Then SZA. Then Beyonce. Now, Kat, this is a beautiful IMDb that you've put up for yourself. I'm very proud of you. I also want to ask, do you remember the first show you went to when concerts came back once the vaccine was out? Like, how would you kind of describe that first vaccinated vibe versus, let's say, Renaissance when you saw it in London? Ooh, okay. First of all, this is a very controversial topic because the person I saw post-lockdown and post-vaccine was Harry Styles. And famously, him versus Beyonce is not a subject we want to broach. So I hesitate to compare those two specifically, but just in general, so that the stands don't murder me. My first concert back was Harry Styles. Um, I saw him for his Love on Tour, like the first iteration um, back in 2021. And that experience was... It was definitely weird. I was definitely not ready for the experience in the sense that like it was my first concert back in a long time. Like in 2020, my New Year's resolution was like, oh, I haven't seen a bunch of concerts since like high school. Like I got to college and I basically was like, oh, I'm not I like don't have time or money to go see concerts. Hit my junior year in 2020 and I was like, no, I have to see a ton of concerts this year. I went out and I was like, okay, I mapped out my year in concerts. I was so ready, like was waiting for all of these tickets to go on sale. Famously, the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. and I was inside for like 11 months after that, like literally madness. And so going to see the like my first concert in the in the fall of 2021, I was very ambitious. I was like, okay, I'm going to go see Harry Styles, who's famously like one of my favorite artists of all time. And also famously has some of the worst fans on the planet. I definitely count myself in that group, but like we're terrible people. So the physicality of that experience was just horrendous. Like I got standing room only tickets, which was atrocious for the, for humankind as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, I went by myself. I was masked up. All of the people around me were so rude and vicious and I was getting thrashed around and it was just not a positive experience. Then when he came out, like there was a catharsis and a like sense of community that I have never experienced in the same way. And I don't think I ever will. Like I was just so happy to be pressed up and sweaty against a bunch of strangers. Um, and also like very terrified and nervous about the fact that like, ah, one of these strangers could breathe on me and I could like, right. bad things could happen. Yeah. But it was also like watching him perform and experiencing him in that context. And like, I think Harry Styles is just a very great performer. Um, Watching him sing like fine line in this hushed arena and being like right pressed up against the barricade and like crying and being a mess, I think was very exciting and fun. Beyonce Renaissance in London, which is like a complete, a totally different experience for many reasons. A, because I'd already been outside for like, I've been to a bunch of concerts since then. I'm kind of like, I've rebuilt my stamina when it Mm. comes to the standing room only. I, I was a lot more physically prepared for the experience, but I think that same sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful to be pressed up against all these people I've never met before. And we're all just basking in the joy of this one performer is something that's remained pretty consistent across those two experiences, but that I wouldn't say is universal for the rest of my experiences. Like I think Mm. being at Beyonce is what like it elicited the same kind of community and communal reaction for me as like being at any concert for the first time after the pandemic hit. 
That is so interesting because, you know, this year, November and December, I would say some of the biggest films in theaters, Taylor Swift, Eras Tour, Beyonce Renaissance, and obviously concert films have always been around. But there's just something about the energy behind these two films that I find really unique. There's definitely a lot of community there, but it does also make me question, like, what is the role of the public venue? So I first want to ask, did you see either Taylor or Beyonce in theaters? I saw Beyonce in theaters. Okay. As someone who went to Beyonce both in theater and live, what was, like, the difference like what were some things you picked up how do you feel about people turning amcs into literal concert venues and dancing in the aisles just like what was your experience i will say that i saw renaissance the film twice Mm -hmm. first of all the film is not the concert it is a concert driven film but the film is not a concert it gave us so much more than that no shade to anybody else who released concert films this year however beyonce was telling us a story And the music was really an interstitial to that storytelling. Mm. Like Renaissance is a film. It's not a concert film. It is a film with images and scenes from a concert in it, in my view. Right, right. With like behind the scenes and like... Absolutely. Yeah. There was so much storytelling. Beyonce did not just replay for us the entire show of Renaissance. Like, oh, if you didn't see it, here it is for you. There's a lot that was actually missing from the experience of seeing the concert and the experience of seeing like her movie. Like she cut out a bunch of songs. The transitions aren't as seamless because like I said, a lot of these songs are interstitials to like greater conversations or like explorations of her creative process, explorations of her life, musings and like damn near philosophical discussions about aging and Mm. temporality and humanity and all of these very high level things that I'm sure went over many people's heads because not everybody is standing Beyonce the way that they should. Mm -hmm. But the film that she put out is not the concert. And I think like the parts of the film that are the concert were really interesting for me because you really get to see like a zoomed in experience of the concert. You get to see her performing in a way that feels a lot more like a music video than it feels like the Mm -hmm. concert. And you get to notice details that like you wouldn't notice anywhere else she has this one moment in the film where she puts her hands up and she's doing the unique dance if you don't know what the unique dance is like from her alien superstar song i'm so sorry you must google it like i can't explain (laughs) it but she does this thing and i like she puts her hands up over her head and when you zoom in the letters for the word unique are like stitched into the back of her nails and that's something i never would have noticed in person because i was too busy like caught up in the energy and the excitement. And so seeing it in the theaters was very much like a slow down, oh, I get to now appreciate all of the work that went into this concert and went into this tour. But it wasn't like experiencing the tour at all for me. Mm. Now, in your two showings, how were people acting in the audience? Were they up? Were they dancing? Were they in the aisles? No, thank God. I was in some theaters with people who had class, okay? Mm. And I say that because I love the beehive. I love enthusiasm. I lo- if you want to get up in your seat and dance, get up in your seat and dance. But if you're going to do a midsummer style dance around the front of the theater, like some other person's fans did for <laughs> an- another movie concert, you're like, it's embarrassing. And it makes me a little bit sick. And also you're ruining the movie theater experience for the other people who like might just want to sit down and watch. 
thankfully the people in my theater were very much like seated in their seats or like standing up but not like leaving their their respective areas but there was just a lot of joy the laughter was so loud for a film that's not a comedy the excitement and the giggles just like filled up the room at every point at certain points in the film there's like a shocking reveal or like a plot twist and people would just gasp and it was a very interactive experience in that way and I think also too people were very united in the music and like people would sing along and but it was it wasn't like disruptive to the moviegoer experience and for that i say the beehive like shout out to y'all this is such an interesting point to make because you know earlier in the episode i brought up that concerts have kind of become this like experimentation of being outside again you know a concert is technically a mass event but i sometimes feel like they are like airplanes they are rooms where people do not know how to act so when you go to a concert you're gonna see people be a little left of center you know Think about all the hyper-internet fans who decided to throw stuff at performers earlier this year, like Kelsey Ballerini, like Drake, whether or not you think he deserved it. Even Taylor Swift had to literally go on mic and say, like... And just, um, just because communication needs having gentle, healthy boundaries, it really freaks me out when the stuff gets thrown on the stage. Um, because if it's on the stage, then a dancer can trip on it. Um, and I love that you brought presents, and that is so nice. But just, can you please not throw them on the stage? I love you so much. And I want to talk about this, and I want to ask, what are your thoughts on concerts being this venue for public behavior again? Like, did you witness anything this year in person that made you think like, oh, this would never have happened in 2019? So I witnessed something this year and last at the tail end of last year. So I'll speak on both of those experiences First, I was at the Renee Rapp, uh, Drew Barrymore talkback slash concert at the 92nd Street Y. Yeah. Where a doctor had basically rushed the stage and like tried to get Drew Barrymore's attention and he tried to climb the stage. That was shocking because like the intricacy of his commitment to the bit in order to get to the venue, like he had on full like photographer gear and like I like at first I thought he was like a member of the press or like somebody who like that Drew Barrymore knew um and he kind of just waltzed over to the stage in a way that I was like oh they just let anybody in here nowadays like this is Mm. very wild um but that got cleared out pretty quickly after that and shout out to the 92nd Street Y for being able to control that situation so quickly and making sure that like nothing else bad happened in that moment but like that was a moment where I was like, this would have never happened pre-pandemic. And then when I was at Made in America for Bad Bunny set in 2022, an influencer like rushed the stage and like tried to get at Bad Bunny and like ran across the stage and like she was swept up and tackled by a security guard. Like so and it happened so quickly that I thought it was part of the set. And like, no, she's just like some influencer that wanted to run on the stage and like I think those are just things that are uh, a result of the pandemic in a way because security at these concert venues are not as tight as they should be. And going back to your question about like people being outside and people who are mobilized in the pandemic to like use concerts as like their first venue to be Mm -hmm. outside. I, I have to say, I really do think that like people are messy and wild, but it's not entirely their fault. They're messy and wild because of so much of the chaos and mismanagement of venues across the country post pandemic. I think there are too many shows with GA like standing room only now, which like a exacerbates all the mess and chaos because at its core, these shows reward fans 
who neglect their own basic needs by like camping outside for hours and hours on end. And then it like encourages them to disregard kind of the people around them in the sense that like, oh, well, if you waited and camped out all night and you're the first person at the barricade, you're not going to let anybody else around you move out the way or like you're not going to let you're not going to give up your spot. It creates a kind of this sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also to like people who are willing to camp outside and sleep on bare concrete sidewalk. If you're willing to go that far, I don't think you should be the kind of people that are in such close proximity to your to these artists. And then there's this issue of like mismanagement at the venues. Like you get there and the people that are doing crowd control and like immediately on the ground have no idea what they're doing. I'm a hundred percent sure that these people just don't get the proper directions ever. And that's something that I never really experienced pre pandemic where like before the pandemic, if you saw a page of rules online about like how your experience for getting inside the venue was going to go, like that was pretty much how your experience was. Now it's like, you will prepare for four days in advance, print out the directions or like screenshot the directions on your phone of how to like physically enter a venue. And then you'll get there and they will make up these wild lines and keep people outside for a lot more hours than uh, is advertised on the site for like when doors open and people aren't like getting in on time. And so that creates a level of stress and they're asking people around them, like security and the crowd control around them. Like, Hey, when am I going to be able to be able to get inside? Hey, when am I going to be able to like do what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. And these people will literally be like, I have no idea. I have to go ask this person. They go and they ask that person and then they never follow up. And so that, that creates like a sense of urgency, a sense of chaos, a sense of anxiety, And then you get into the venue like 45 minutes after you thought you were going to get into the venue, the lines for food, for water, for merchandise are like out the door. You can't meet your basic needs in those moments. And then if you're NGA standing room only, you have to run up until like the barricade. And like, so it's, it's this overall system of neglect that I think creates a kind of mess that then is used by fans to just like go feral once they're like in proximity to the to the stage and then they're like oh well i waited all this time i neglected all of my basic needs for this time i was stressed out this whole time now i'm gonna throw a condom at harry styles because i want him to notice me and it's like i'm not i'm not condoning the actions of the fans but i'm saying like there are there are conditions that are created that make these fans a lot more unhinged than they were in the past And i think a lot of that has to do with mismanagement of these venues and the ga standing room only that's like plaguing our people now because every concert is ga standing room only for the pit and it's awful it's awful i hate it and i think it's part of the problem I think you're completely right. And we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I'm going to ask Kat, what is the cost of being a fan in 2023? And we're back. So Kat, I wanted to actually ask you a little bit about the finances that go behind being a fan. So I think that even being a casual fan nowadays is starting to cost a lot of money. Like, it's not only streaming the album, buying the vinyl, going to the concert. It's getting the merch, buying the best seats, being so online and constantly plugged in to the point where it's essentially a full-time job. And at this point, I'm like, we need Parkwood scholarships. I need Taylor Swift to fund my costume. So I wanted to ask, especially from your personal experience, like, how would you describe the financial struggle of being a fan in 2023? Oh my goodness. First of all, I'll say 
Being a fan is expensive and I don't recommend it to literally anybody on planet Earth. I think if you can avoid being a fan of anything in 2023, you should do it. A lot of us who are stands don't really do anything outside of being a stand. Sure. It makes sense in the grand scheme of things, right? Like most of your friends are probably either stands or fans and like enjoy the same artists as you for the most part. So you're constantly talking to your friends about the like being a fan. Then there's like the arena of the digital space where you're for the most part running on a hamster wheel trying to catch up like even the most dedicated fans are behind in the news yeah. cycle of their their fave right so then your attention is already gone and out the window and there was a, a period of time during pandemic specifically during the lockdown where the only thing that a lot of people had to look forward to post pandemic was like concerts that's like a concrete mm-hmm. thing that they could say oh yes as soon as the doors open and the vaccines come out and everything is safe again. I know that I'm going to be able to go to this concert, yeah. right? Yeah. Not the same. It wasn't the same with travel. It, it, it was really only that way with concerts, right? And so a lot of people during the pandemic were like, I'm going to go so big. I'm going to go so hard when this thing comes out. And so a lot of that time spent in the pandemic was like trying to accrue all of the, the necessary access to the ritual and performance of concerts and all of the knowledge about that ritual and performance in order to really get into the arena and be like, okay, I am the number one fan. Mm. I know all of the practices. If you're a Swifty, you're going to want to be making the friendship bracelets. bracelets, Yeah. And you're going to want to know the chants, like Mm -hmm. secret songs. uh Uh-huh. You want to come in, like you said, almost like a scholar of these experiences so that when these moments happen, you're not left out. And so all of that created this kind of sense of competition within fans. I think a lot of fans are very competitive with one another. It's all about like, who is the best fans? But like, it's it's expensive because we all want to, we all want to compete. We all want to be number one. And like, we're rewarded by being number one. The alien, shout out to the alien. If you don't know who the alien is, This is a person who has been traveling from concert to concert to concert on Beyonce's Renaissance tour wearing an alien mask that's very intricate and unique. It looks like a full-blown alien from a film Um, and has shown up to like so many concerts that at one point Beyonce, while on stage, was like, I just want to acknowledge the alien. You've been to a lot of shows and you are committed. You're killing it, superstar. So now there's this incentive to come in the craziest concert outfits Come to as many shows as you possibly can. Buy as much of the merch as you can, right? Um, Because if you do all of that, there's this idea that your fave is going to shout you out, is going to build some kind of relationship with you, is going to keep tabs on you. We no longer live in the world of Rolling Ray, where like Beyonce calls me every month, like she knows me just from the internet. Most of these big, big artists aren't just checking for their fans like on the internet in that way. Now the onus is on you to show up and like, promote yourself to these people so it's super expensive and that's for people who like really want to be noticed but even for the casual fan like you have Ticketmaster and these rising prices and all of this like terrible awful like price hikes and the the surge pricing that makes it really impossible for you to go see a concert if you're a casual enjoyer of a musician now like I like Beyonce it costs just for me to go see her in Club Renaissance it cost me like $900 or whatever And that was with me flying to another country. Right. If I wanted to see her 20 minutes away from where I live in New Jersey, 
I would have had to pay the more. I would have had to pay $1,100 to see her in the same seats. So the level of commitment that you have to have in order to be a fan and in order to want to see someone like Beyonce live is the stakes are way higher because these prices are literally ridiculous. There's no really fair way to get access to these shows at like reasonable prices anymore. So if you want to be a fan and if you want to show up for a live concert, nine times out of 10 is going to be the people who are most dedicated and it's not going to be the casual listeners. And if it is a casual listener, I'm happy and you're showing up to these shows. I'm very happy for you because that means you have rich parents or a good job. And I'm happy for you. Please keep investing. I will not be doing that though. Yeah. And... I want to ask about this transference of internet fandom to public fandom because I think money is part of it. This idea of like in the pandemic, I loved this artist. I couldn't go anywhere, but now that I can, I'm going to put all of my money behind them. Concert, film, merch, da, 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 da. And I think some artists who've definitely benefited from that in the pandemic were like Dua Lipa, Future Nostalgia, or like Charlie XCX, Troy Zavon, Rina Sawayama. I mean, their fans know how to lead and organize the stands. They could do so much with unions. And now that these pop girlies are back on tour, I'm sure being a fan and being publicly a fan, meeting other fans must be kind of cathartic. Or do you think there's like some anxiety there? Is there something about the way that the Internet has now driven pop stars to kind of be elevated in the way maybe they couldn't have been before 2020? Well, first of all, I say that the internet has driven fans to get a lot younger. Like I went to see SZA at Madison Square Garden. And I would say that like one out of every like four people I saw was a teenager. And mm-hmm. when I say teenager, I'm talking about like couldn't have been older than four, like 14, 15, like not like, not like not they're not teenagers with jobs. Like they Staunch- can't drive. Yeah. Right. Staunchly teenagers with parents who are bankrolling their experience at these concerts Mm -hmm. and like their teens who like come decked out in the merch don't really connect to the songs in the same way like when i used to go to SZA concerts before the pandemic like SZA was still a massive artist and like i had a lot of friends that saw her when she was like doing live performances for control and everybody i know that's a SZA fan is saying like the kids are getting younger so that's one thing that i think the internet has done for fans and fandom where it's like now it's it it feels a lot more imperative to go see an artist when you're a younger person than it does when you're like a bit older. Yeah, I think that's super fair. And I definitely feel like the internet has kind of driven this interesting, let's say, groupie behavior, especially for Renaissance and Eras Tour, where people were like live streaming every Renaissance show. It was so widespread that people who had like North American tickets were like, no, don't, don't, don't show me any footage from the Paris show. No spoilers. Uh. And it kind of made me think about how it is so much easier to be a groupie nowadays because you could theoretically watch every stop of Beyonce's tour from the comfort of your twin XL bed. And you could just be a digital beehive groupie. And it's really feeding that like, Beyonce updates energy that I wasn't there, but I can do the thick to all up in your mind transition energy. And so I'm just wondering, do you think this will be the new standard for fandom or do you think this is just a Swifty beehive phenomenon? I think that digital groupies, that's the future, baby. Because I participate in digital groupieism, if that is the definition of it. Because I like am on TikTok and watching different concerts that I haven't been to because people upload it and that's what comes into my algorithm. But I think the reason why it's going to become more widespread is because artists are really kind of playing into this idea of like each 
individual show is a, a once in a lifetime individual collectible experience. So like, yeah, I saw Beyonce twice. I didn't get the big three. Ju- I was shouting justice for thick from the rooftops in Tampa. And guess who didn't get thick? Me. Secret songs with Swifty. Yeah, it's a real yeah, thing. It's a real thing. And they're playing up to it like Harry Styles. I'll never forgive that balding man because <laughs> my favorite song of all time is ever since New York. And he waited to the last damn day of his MSG residency to play that song. It infuriated me because I was like, I paid the same amount of money as everybody right. else. Why am I not getting the same experience? And right. that's intentional. That's purposeful. And that also is what drove me to get online and like start looking at concerts and like what other people's experiences are. And it's not just the big artists. Like if we look at s- smaller artists, you have SZA singing 20 something at some stops and not singing 20 something at other stops. Calling SZA smaller is kind of crazy, but like in comparison to Beyonce and Taylor Swift, I think yeah. she's smaller. And then you go even like you you go a step down in terms of like voracious fandom and like Victoria Monet, when she sings her song Stop, she does like a spoken interlude and every single concert, the spoken interlude is different and it's it's changed for the venue that she's in at the current moment, in the city that she's in the current moment. Same thing with Sabrina Carpenter doing the nonsense outros. You know what I'm saying? And then you have Renee Rapp who brings out special guests like once in a while every time she feels like it like she brought out bryson tiller at an la show and she brought out lizzie mcalpine to sing freaking wicked on the like 20th anniversary of the show which like doesn't make sense but it's like a very individualized experience so i think that if you want to be like a good fan and if you want to be like a fan who's in the know not participating in all of that like digital groupieism is going to leave you out and it's also not going to let you know what's coming for your experience. Right, right, right. Which adds to the unpredictability factor when we're talking about literal safety and how you go to an event, you don't know how you're going to get into that door, but you will, maybe, hopefully, if they mm-hmm. let you. I want to talk about another word for groupie, which is music journalist. Because do you remember earlier this year when Gannett, who owns USA Today, hired a Taylor Swift reporter whose job was to literally just write about her constantly and then they hired a Beyonce reporter like I just thought these were such funny hirings because to be honest isn't journalism just being a fan and then turning it into your job but I do wonder if having designated reporters for singular artists actually takes away from wider music coverage and specifically artists who don't have their own beat. Like, does it make it that much harder to break out when Taylor and Beyonce are taking up so much space on the front page? Oh, my God. Yes. First of all, I think that, like, the amount of coverage that Beyonce and Taylor are getting is absolutely justified. I just wish we could distribute that to smaller artists because there's like a level of attention that's paid to things like Beyonce in the context of like her the like the set design for her show and the storytelling and the physical experience of being at her show same thing with like the Eras tour right like Taffy Brodesser Ackner wrote an entire piece for New York Times Magazine just about the experience of being at a Taylor Swift show right yeah yeah and I think And I think that's justified. I think that's warranted. I think we need more of that for smaller artists because I think that every show is an experience that needs to be written about and needs to be cataloged. Like if we're talking about someone who's as massive as like SZA, for example, right? SZA has some of the best storytelling visually within her set design that I've ever seen in my entire life. I think SZA's set design does not give concert. It gives Broadway show. It's 
every single detail of her set design is a is, is a story. All of the production of the visuals behind her at every single moment is telling a story. And it's not like the story that's on the album. It's a story about her being on a sea barge and then drowning and then getting lost in the ocean and then coming out and resurging and finding her way back to land. And it's done beautifully, but nobody has, I haven't seen any real coverage of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating to me because like, I'm glad that like B and Miss Swiftington are getting their day in the sun and that they're getting like people to cover them. But like that kind of attention to detail needs to be paid, I think, to all of these other artists, because there are so many artists that I saw this year where like the level of storytelling that they do live. Like Victoria Monet, the level of storytelling that that lady is able to do with just her voice and her dancing is out of this world. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't get like on the scenes at the at the state of the concert anymore because all of these experiences are kind of boiled down into like, what can you record and post onto TikTok or what can you record and post onto Instagram and your stories? And it's like concerts are so much more than just story fodder. But like within the landscape of music journalism have really just taken like not even a backseat. I don't even think they're on the bus at this point. I think they're running behind the bus trying to catch up because it's missed them. It left them at the wrong stop, you know. And so it's like it's I'm glad that like shout out to Gannett for like having the money to hire one person to cover Beyonce. Like, I think that's an interesting thing. It's a concept. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, like that level of detail and attention like needs to be paid to artists who like need us to engage with them because they get lost in the TikTok algorithms because they don't have a song that's going to go viral in 20 seconds. Yeah. I want to end this episode on a joyful note. And I want to ask you, Kat, what are you looking forward to in 2024? This could be concerts. This could be albums. This could be Grammy predictions. What do you have? Oh my gosh. I'm so scared. Well, I'm, I heard Jensen McRae is coming out with an album. Okay. If you don't know Jensen McRae, I need you to go get click clack on the keys as soon as you possibly can. But Jensen McRae, like her level of lyricism is so like intricate. And I think it really like, like the way that I feel about Jensen McRae and the way I know I'm going to feel about her new album because she's like posted snippets online is the way that I think people feel about Phoebe Bridges and Taylor Swift when they talk about them. They're like, oh my God, they're the lyricists of our generation, like poetry wordsmiths, like they're touching my soul in that way. That's how I feel about Jensen McCray. Sure. So I'm super excited for her album. And same thing with Sarah Kinsley. She's this incredible young artist. Her music just reminds me of Florence Welch and like Florence and the Machine type like 2010s when they were really at their height and she's so captivating she's in her like music production bag like you could tell that 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 little miss like took a couple music theory lessons and she knows what she's talking about and Mm. i'm very i'm very happy for her i think she's gonna blow up i think both her and jensen mccray are gonna blow up next year and then in terms of like people i'm excited for live loeve and uh samara joy i can't i think that next year is gonna be their year for concerts i think They're going to go, both of them, I think, are coming out with tours next year. I can't wait to see what they do. The production's going to be wild. It's going to be super stripped back. And I'm going to enjoy hearing some singers sing. Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday. So definitely subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. 
Leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod. And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online or on George Santos's cameo page.